First Unitarian Society of Denver podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey of the mind, the heart, and the spirit. You may find us on the web at fusden.org or find us on Facebook. This week's selections come from First Unitarian's online service held Sunday, December 27th, 2020. The title is Hacking the Human. The homily is by Theo E.J. Wilson. Good morning, First Unitarian. Welcome to our online worship this morning. I'm going to call us to worship today with some of the defining words, one of the defining documents of modern Unitarian Universalism. This uh, document serves effectively as the covenant of the Unitarian Universalist Association and all of its congregations. It reads like this. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. Acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. A free and responsible search for truth and meaning. The right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. The goal of world community with peace liberty, and justice for all, and respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. That is essentially our covenant with each other, with our brother and sister congregations, uh, and with the world. If those are principles that you yourself believe in, you are warmly invited to covenant with us in this great journey of the mind in the heart, and the spirit. I light our chalice today with that thought. Once again, welcome to our online worship today. As always, it is my great pleasure to welcome Theo Wilson, my friend, back to our pulpit today. Theo, if you don't happen to know, is a local activist, poet, founder of Shop Talk Live, uh, author, public speaker, TED Talk, um, presenter extraordinaire. Uh, anyway, uh, always a great pleasure to have Theo back with us. And here at the end of 2020, I want to say a prayer for all of us, for what we've endured, for what we've survived, for the creativity we've shown in adapting to this brave new world, for the resilience we've shown in the face of a pandemic and fires and flood and an election and shifting economy and online schooling and working from home and a hundred other things we didn't plan for this past year. May strength and clarity and courage continue to be ours as we move into 2021. Our prayer this morning was written by my friend and colleague, Reverend Ryan Taylor. Reverend Ryan is the director of the Network Coffee House just up the street from First Unitarian. He wrote this. This is not a prayer about calming down, relaxing, or trusting that everything is going to pan out in the end. What I want to say to all my friends, and hoping that I take my own medicine, is that it's okay to give yourself a break from the despair and the need to personally fix all the things that are broken. It's just too much. Be kind to yourself. 
pay close attention to the new paying close attention to the news cycle the hatred the vast array of deep injustices may just not be what you need today remaining deeply attached to that broken relationship that fills you with shame may not be what you need right now you are enough you are a gift to this world your main job is to trust that you are accepted right now give yourself the gift of god's reality that you are the beloved real justice starts in the home in the very now of things with how you perceive your one wild and precious life amen what is going on first unitarian family uh this is your friend theo ej wilson uh, thank you very much, Red Mike, for inviting me back uh, to kind of just give a recap of this year and how spiritually I've had to grow and maybe y'all can relate. I know that for certain, for certain, dang near everybody watching this has had to tap into whatever spirituality that they have to make it through probably one of the most challenging years on record for most people. And I, you know, I spoke earlier in the year about, you know, possibly losing faith in the American experiment. As the year went on, I was like, what if the human experiment is failing? And that's what we're really witnessing. You know what I'm saying? I felt all sorts of emotions of loss, uh, moments of hope. But more than anything, I was challenged. I was challenged in a way that I never have been before. Now, just to give a recap of my year, you know what I mean? Uh, the world shut down literally two weeks after my daughter was born, which means as a public speaker, I can't make money if there's no public, right? So I have a brand new baby, right? Me and my fiance just move in together. And before I know it, I've got to make some very hard decisions about what I'm going to do in order to keep my family afloat, right? So I remembered that there was a guy that I met at Brother Jeff's Kwanzaa celebration last year. His name was Lionel Mabin. He was a computer specialist, is a computer specialist, right? Mabin offered the opportunity to the community to learn IT skills. Now, I remember I told my girl about it. She was like, listen, things are going to have to change, Mr. Public Speaker Man. Like, there's a lot of things that you can do and you're very artistic. But the truth is... You're going to have to learn a skill skill. And I always wanted to learn a skill. Like that was something that I deeply craved to understand how to actually do something with my hands. It's like this masculine thing. I'm going to do something with my hands and make something real. Right. And so I called up Lionel Mabin and, uh, you know, after a few conversations, he says, I'm willing to teach you. You got somebody else. So I brought in my friend Kirk Bledsoe. And before you know it. I'm learning the skills I always wanted to learn. Like I always wanted to learn how to break down a computer and build it up again, right? I said, if I can do that, I will have learned this skill. And in learning the skill of breaking down computers and rebuilding them again, you learn the parts of the computer and you can't help but notice how similar human beings and the human mind is to these computers, right? You know what I mean? I mean, you got the graphics card in the computer. That's like our visual cortex, you know what I mean? You got the central processing unit. Um, that's like our frontal lobe of the brain, you know what I mean? And you got the power supply unit. Well, that can be your limbic system, that can be your heart, you know what I mean? You've got all of these parts that make sense, like the, the, the motherboard, that's your entire nervous system. That's what we have, these parallels just keep coming to you, right? And I realized that what's going on with human beings is a lot deeper than just the operating system. That's our conscious mind. 
that's when you change religions. I was Christian now. I was Christian before and I'm a Buddhist. You know what I mean? I'm converted to Islam. That's like a whole new operating system. But realistically, and I know y'all can relate to this. Will an operating system change anything that's deeper in the computer if something is wrong? If there's like a heating unit issue, you know, uh, the cooling fan is busted. And that brought to mind to me the realization that we're trying to fix the human computer on a level that just isn't where the problem is, right? Human beings are in a world, we have created these social agreements whereby we have to figure out a way to make a living, we have to figure out how to make sure that you know we stay safe in a world of cars and a world of airplanes and guns and you know all of this technology that is fully divorced from our natural self. We are struggling as human beings because we've lost what it is to be human, right? So I started to thinking, all right, so let's say that we're in a situation where we got to figure out what's wrong with humanity at a deeper level and how to fix it. How do you do that when it comes to human neurology, right? Because this is deeper than just installing a new operating system and a new belief system and how to think about it, uh, how to think about the world, how to perceive a new paradigm, right? How do you hack your being? What does that look like neurologically? How do you make the inner world something as tangible as a hard drive, right? And I began to realize that there's a few techniques that are involved with making sure that we actually take control of the executive function of our brain and tap into us as a deeper humanity. Our neurology is so complex. It's so insanely different than the rest of all of the creatures on earth that I believe that if we don't understand ourselves at the deeper levels and if we can't hack into what's really driving us, we don't really have a shot. So what does that look like? Well, a couple of things came to mind. Now, the type of human being that I am, I am prone to overheating, right? There is a cooling fan issue in my computer and my motherboard just be getting hot, right? That's my neurology, just my overall nervous system. And I realized that I had adopted whole paradigms living as if that was normal. You know, um, you know, from my poetry to the videos that I used to make, like all of the things that affirmed my identity as a hot running person, not realizing that that wasn't the only way to live my life. And truth be told, of course, I've got trauma. I got things that I've endured from, you know, witnessing friends die and, you know, to police brutality and all of these things shifted my neurology and kind of messed up my computer and kind of implanted a virus in my mind to a certain extent, right? But the difference between the computer and me is I'm self-aware and I get the chance and the opportunity to control my own behavior. And that is literally the only thing separating us from every other living creature on this planet, right? And so executive function, how do I take control of that, right? But the first thing, turn on that cooling fan and breathe. To breathe, right? So many things can be remedied by breath work. It's amazing. Right. So many things that we think are normal, getting stressed, getting agitated, hot tempered, all of that stuff is literally a function of us not gaining control of what we are. So the thing is, how do you hack the human? How do you make sure that you understand what a human being is? How do you make sure that people have it cultured into them that 
there is a way to deal with who you are at a deeper level because what I'm finding is that people are state dependent beings. Your state of being can dictate everything about how you live your entire life, right? That's a deeper thing than just installing a new operating system. That's deeper than just changing your religion. That's deeper than just figuring out how else to um, go about uh, social interactions, right? These have to do with self-knowledge, making the inner world the primary world, as real as a hard drive, as real as a microchip. How do you do that, right? And I think that the imperative that we're facing right now says that if we don't get our inner world under control, the outer world will go bye-bye. Human beings are at the verge of literally this program that we're operating under. What we're doing right now as a humanity is making it impossible for other beings to live. And I know that I don't have to tell this audience what that looks like and how that affects everyone else around us, right? And so one thing that I think is very important is teaching emotional intelligence learning. Emotional intelligence just doesn't get the kind of attention that it deserves. I mean, now they're starting to discuss it, but the fact is that making it broad-based curriculum, right, as common as like arithmetic, as common as biology, as common as, you know, a freaking gym class, right? It needs to be that. Teaching children to actually like meditate, teaching children the marshmallow test, like how to delay the gratification of like what you want is the thing that'll make your life more successful in the long run, right? Discipline, how do you make sure that people can, you know, like take over the laziness or the, um, you know, the habits, the negative things that drive us so that we can actually live a productive life. Then it don't matter what your choice, your chosen field of endeavor is. Like it literally has nothing to do with like the path that you go down in life. All that matters past that point is you being somebody who has control of who you are and how to, and what does that look like on the macro? What does that look like when we duplicate that out? Like what does foreign policy look like? Like what does economic policy look like? What does voting look like when politicians are dealing with a population that cannot trigger their emotions into mass hysteria because the people already have control of that? If you look at how many times human beings have tried to get this right, from the American experiment to every new nation to every revolution that's ever been like instituted, you will see that we have figured everything out but our deep internal hardware, our deep internal neurology. And we as a humanity are faced with basically no other option than that. Notice that our technology solves one problem and creates another one. You know what I'm saying? Our social movements address one problem and creates a reaction. So we're always in this pendulum swing. And it's so weird that like Americans, like every four years, I think this party that was the problem is now the answer, right? It's because we haven't gotten control of what it really is to be a human being. And that's our next step spiritually that we have to address. And here's how I think we can do that. The first thing we have to do is acknowledge that this is the frontier. This is the next level. This is the only future that we have. Figuring out our internal wiring, the inner universe, the things that 
are told uh, that we're told are like woo woo and you know soft and not really real. Uh, the things that we try to address when we talk about mental health. What is mental health, right? Mental health is the only language that this secular culture really has to talk about the things that are going on inside of people. But understand that it's so much more than that, right? And so prioritize that, making it a thing that is on the forefront of your mind every day. Like me, I've literally like been checkmated out of anything but figuring out how to breathe through my anger, shutting down the negative programs, understanding that they're coming from a deeper part of me than my conscious awareness. The second thing is habituated. It's just a habit. It's the thing that you're going to have to accept that you're going to fail at multiple times. I failed at it multiple times. I have literally like blown up. I've gone out of control and crazy and whatnot. And I realized that the only thing that is going to save the situation is me gaining a strong foothold in the deeper parts of me and realizing that I don't have to feel that way and that I have control of my state. And when I get control of my state, then I get control of the paradigms I'm operating under. And then suddenly with a new vibration in my being, I got access to thoughts and I got access to ideas that I would not have had otherwise. And that to me is like huge. You see what I'm saying? Um, and, and making that a habit, making that a practice in my daily life is one of the things that I feel has literally saved my life situation, saved my relationship. It saved me through these uh, tough times. You know what I mean? Uh, it made sure that I could actually learn a new craft, to actually learn a new trade, to actually, you know, do the time management necessary to make sure that I'm like studying all of these things are a function of habit. Understand that the human being is a habit-creating organism, right? Why? Because we're so complex. We've got all this stuff going on. Like People have all of these functions that we can do and understand that it just takes time. It's like driving. The first time you drove and you were a teenager, you were nervous as a chipmunk looking over your shoulder and having to make sure you take care of every little detail. Right now, you can do it just, you know, drinking espresso and eating some Krispy Kreme. Like, you can just do it right now, right? You see what I'm saying? Because... Humans are so complex, so use the habit mechanism for your benefit. I think that's one of the best things that we can put into uh, our sphere of understanding, right? Um, knowing where the answers are not, I think, is the third one, right? Um, like, realistically, uh, you know, trading parties, trading religion, you know, uh, trading paradigms, you know that you've seen good people, well, uh, so I say harmonious people and unharmonious people in all of these different realms, right? I mean, you know, um, when religion made me upset, I still knew religious people after I left the religion, you know what I'm saying, that were good, that were uh, harmonious, that were people who were open-minded and understanding, right? It ain't got nothing to do with what your main operating system is. It has everything to do with how you get control of the other workings. Mainly, we're talking about your unconscious mind here, right? Man, I think that's huge. And then the next thing is starting young, we got to start it young, you know. Me as a new father, I get an opportunity to do that, right? I cannot wait till my daughter is old enough that I can have these conversations with her. That we can start instituting meditation early, start instituting deep breathing early, start instituting emotional intelligence and the marshmallow test and getting her good at that. I can't wait to raise her IQ. I can't wait to do all of that stuff. But before that, getting her really grounded in state control at the very beginning of her life, to me, is just going to be one of the best things that I can do as a new father, you know? So I really want that to be 
my paradigm, her paradigm from very, very early because I can't wait to see the human that she turns out to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't wait to see what she will become and what her like effect is going to be on the world when we start her out with the understandings that are going to make this world a better place from the very, very beginning. So I think that those are the four steps that are really, really necessary in order to get ourselves on the right track. And of course, um, the fifth one, I'm just going to start off with saying is compassion, 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 compassion. We all had our programs our computers malfunctioned because of certain trauma. Somebody just dropped us, you know what I'm saying? Life dropped us, life busted our uh, our shell casing, life, you know what I'm saying, disrupted our circuits and whatnot. And that compassion thing is really the next level when it comes to actually connecting our um, our processing units together. The compassion thing is the wiring, is the network that we need to build. And I feel that the network of compassion is the way forward. It's easy to not have. The thing that blocks us from compassion most of the time is really just getting stopped, just caught up in our own narrative. You know what I mean? The story that we have told ourselves time and time again about uh, the knocks that we've taken and how nobody is going to understand who we are and what we've been through. I know I had to go through that, you know what I'm saying? Um, and to realize that you don't have to go through directly what somebody has gone through in order to have enough empathy to hold space for that person, right? That's the program that we need to be operating under. That's the thing that needs to connect us. Because, you know, no matter what your story is, there's somebody who could be like Crimea River, you know? Like a freaking white American guy could be like, I hustled and struggled by the sweat of my brow. I have no idea what you're talking about with privilege, you know, and I've got what I got because I worked hard. And now in the economic downturn, I've lost everything. Right. And there could be like a black American, like queer sister would be like, man, cry me a river. I've had to deal with so much of that. I've never had the opportunity to have an upswing economically, to have a downturn. You know what I mean? Like, what do you know about, you know, being violated? What do you know about having to be like a triple minority? I'm black, I'm woman, and I'm queer. I had to come out of the closet, which was even a tougher struggle for me than being black. You know what I'm saying? And then there's somebody from like another country that could be looking at that story and be like, well, cry me a river. You know, like I literally grew up in Uganda. I was a child soldier. I saw rebels come in and mutilate my parents. I have been an orphan and I've had to kill other people. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you know about having to actually take life at such a young age? Right. And you were at least an American. At least somebody cares about you. Nobody cares about me in this country. Right. And then somebody from like the Arab world could be like, man, listen, I've been living in these Palestinian camps for so long and I got the whole world turned its back on me. At least there's fundraisers for Africa. You know about like, well, what about me? Like I literally like lost legs, like my legs have been blown off. You know what I mean? Like in a in, in with American bombs. And nobody seems to care about what's going on with me. Yeah, you were a child soldier, but at least you had all your limbs to pull the trigger. And then there could be like a very, very wealthy person who could look at all of these people and be like, cry me a river. I had everything handed to me. I had a silver spoon in my mouth and I never got the chance to even struggle to find out who I am. And I've got all of this wealth on the outside and inwardly I'm impoverished. I've got no way to figure out how to even gain the tools to build character. At least you had that. 
And now because I'm so spiritually impoverished, now because I've never been able to find a friend who actually loves me for who I am, I don't know how to give love for who someone else is. All I can do is look at the world in terms of transactionalism, in terms of what they can provide for me. And I've made it to the highest office in the land. And now I am the laughingstock of the world because I have no control over my inner world. And all I want to do is be loved. I bet you somebody loves all of you. I can tell you that as wealthy as I am and as powerful as I am, nobody actually loves me. Cry me a river. You see what I'm saying? And then we look at this river and we say, this is nothing but human tears. I'm sorry, I got a freaking <laughs> piano on my says, This is nothing but human tears, right? And it's these tears that connect us, right? It is these tears that show us that we are all together with this water in our bodies. And I think that 2020 has been so challenging, but what's ironic about an airborne virus is there's no better way to prove that we all breathe the same air, that we're all on this planet and that we have to live here together. And once we figure out how to hack who we are internally, we're going to be able to change things externally at a very, very powerful state if we prioritize our inner world first. And that is how we hack the human. My name is Theo E.J. Wilson. I hope you enjoyed this. Bye-bye. We have come to our benediction today. You know, in a round world, what goes around comes around. Circles and cycles of stars, seasons of growth and decay, birth and death and unexpected resurrection. You and I and we are inextricably linked, forever connected to everything that was or is, or ever will be. Amen. Thank you for being with us today.